Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. Each week, Andy shares interviews with talent development professionals, thought leaders, and experts to share best practices, learn about the latest trends, and find out what has been successful in the world of talent development. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch. And this is a show that is all about helping you up your game and improve your capabilities and success in the world of talent development. And I've got another great conversation and episode for you today to help you with just that. Today, we're talking about standardizing and scaling training, as well as upskilling and reskilling your workers to help them move into different positions to continue to develop and prepare for a future that is really uncertain and keeps changing all of the time. And my guest today is someone who works in a large organization that is thinking about these things all the time. He's got a lot of great experience in a lot of different companies, and we're going to dig into some of that as well as some of the work that he's done to standardize and scale training, thinking around upskilling and reskilling, as well as a training model that he's been working on that he's introducing on this episode as well. My guest today is Dr. Frank Nguyen, who is an author, speaker, and executive who specializes in transforming learning organizations through strategy and technology. He has led enterprise learning for fortune companies, including a really large retail company that you know well and probably use on a regular basis, as well as American Express and Intel. Frank has published extensively on the intersection of e-learning, instructional design, and performance support. He is a recipient of the Learning Guild Master and the ISPI Distinguished Dissertation Awards. His work on compliance training, learning strategy, business transformation, and technology have been recognized by Brandon Hall and Chief Learning Officer, and Frank has served on a variety of learning industry committees for Adobe, ATD, BJET, Brandon Hall, eLearning Guild, and ISPI, among others. Frank has done a lot of things, worked with a lot of people, and excited to get him on to share just a little glimpse 
of some of the work he's done and advice that he has for others in the talent development world. This is a great episode, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you get out of it. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Frank Nguyen about standardizing and scaling training, as well as upskilling and reskilling your workers. Enjoy. All right. I'm joined now by Frank Nguyen, who is an author, a speaker, and a longtime executive in the talent development space. I'd say really an innovator in the talent development space. I'm really excited to, to have him on and, and dig in. Frank, welcome to the show. Appreciate having me, Andy. Yeah. So great to have you here. We met at a conference many years ago and just kind of stayed in touch, you know, power of LinkedIn. And I was excited to get you on the show because I know you've done a lot of different innovative things within the learning and development, talent development world, um, scaling up, you know, looking for ways to change how people onboard and go through training. And I'm excited to dig into some of those things, but maybe we can start with just a little bit of your background and, you know, how you got into talent development and, and what you're doing today. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think I fell in talent development a little bit by accident, I guess, as a lot of people do in their careers. I actually started out in the IT space. I was hmm. a systems engineer before I moved into learning that first job I had, oh gosh, I mean, I watched, it, it was a $5 billion company with 6,000 employees. I watched about 5,800 employees walk out uh, with a succession of four years. Wow. It was just a really interesting time in my life. I mean, it taught me a couple things. One, you know, I, I didn't want to stay in the corporate space, corporate IT space specifically. So I went back and got my master's in um, educational technology, which is really what kind of launched the learning side of it. But moreover, you know, I'd learned some pretty important life lessons there, like loyalties are to people and not to companies. And so that's that was a lesson for me, for sure, that I've, I've carried with me through the rest of my career. Hmm. I, I, I found this kind of fascinating intersection for me between, you know, being at the time an IT professional and learning theory and instructional design and, and how, how do those two integrate and marry together. And that's really kind of what's informed the rest of my career is you know, going into different business sectors, learning the business, learning where they're trying to go from a transformation perspective, figuring out how do we align learning strategy to that. And then, and then specifically, how to use technology to help the transformation and scale the transformation. So a lot of times my friends or family ask me what I do for a living. And it's, it's a little hard to explain. You won't, you know, it's, it's such a, yeah. Uh, a specific narrow niche, but it's been the last 25 years of my career and it's been a, a really fun <laughs> adventure for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. We, yeah, we help develop other people, right? Yeah. In various ways. I'm curious, you know, going back to that story and the lessons you learned, why were so many people walking out the door? Was it a cultural thing or an industry change or what was the cause? Yeah, it was a bit, a bit of all of that. So that particular company, they were involved very early in the computer distribution business. So this predates the internet, really, right? Mm. So back then it was, <clears throat> you, if you were a computer store, you'd be buying product directly from different manufacturers, HP, Dell, whatever it mm -hmm. means. They were a consolidator and they really did not pivot when the internet and e-commerce started coming out. And so that's why their business model just, it, it fell out from underneath them. Mm. And I took a lot of lessons from that. And, and um, you know, a few years later, I ended up at a, not a few, maybe 10 years later, I ended up at a retailer that was 129 years old. And it was the same situation. Like the, that business pivoted. They'd not pivoted in advance. And so they were struggling. And so um, anyway, unfortunately, probably, you know, 5,000 people left, not by choice. It was, it was the company. Yeah. It was um, a changing industry, company, not yeah. innovating. 
A question, you know, we're going to get into developing talent in a fast growing and scaling business, but you also have experience in businesses and industries that are more in decline, yeah. which which can sort of be a morale detractor for a lot of people. And, and you've got to try to find a ways to still develop and retain talent. I would yeah. imagine that's kind of a unique proposition. You know, what did you learn from that experience and, and what advice do you have for anybody who maybe is in that yeah. type of position? So I, that first job I took out of college where I watched the company literally fall apart. Mm. I mean, it was tough from a financial perspective, a career perspective, where would I go? One of the other key things I learned is that sometimes in a, in that situation, the company and the organization is so desperate to survive. It will try things you would not get to try under normal circumstances. So mm. when I took that later role with a retailer that was struggling, I went into it knowing two things. One is that, I would be able to innovate in ways I couldn't at a really established organization. If you're in, a, in an organization like where I'm now, where the business model is great, innovation is actually harder to do because you have to convince people why this change will one, not damage the current business model and two, actually make it better. But when you're in a situation where you're in an organization that's struggling, innovation is actually much easier to do. Yeah. The other thing that was different with my second role that I took was um, I, I looked really closely at the finances and I knew that the physical assets they had could float the company for decades. Hmm. And so like, I wasn't actually afraid of going, like I, I'd never had a concern that I would get laid off in that situation. If anything, I knew that the CEO at the time wanted to do something really different and he was willing to take some of his capital assets to actually make it happen. And so we built hmm processes and systems there that were literally decades ahead of other organizations. And hmm. so um, don't be afraid of the situation. That's my advice. Like yeah. do your homework and be diligent about it. Um, sometimes going onto a ship that has a big hole in the side, it, it looks scary, but there are things that you can do in those situations that you can't in other, other cases. Yeah. Sense. Willing to try all kinds of things. Yeah. And I like that you dug into the financials too, to see like, okay, they've got enough money or assets at least to keep business going for a while. So it's not like they're yeah. going to go out of business tomorrow. They just may be in decline and it, it, you know, it may, it may not last forever, but for That's a few right. years, That's right. be the, fine. the ship will stay afloat and it won't sink tomorrow. It'll sink at some point. They don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to sink. Which it's is what they were trying to do. Right. Right. Exactly. So you made a move from that to a much more faster growing, expanding, scaling retailer. And something you told me about when we talked recently was one of the first things you did to kind of make your mark was standardizing training. And I wonder if you could mm -hmm. share some of that, because I think a lot of people, whether they're working in small or big organizations, come in and often see, you know, training being done sometimes in some pretty archaic ways when it's like, wait a minute, we're in 2022, we should be able to do this differently. Yeah. Yeah. No, actually kind of to, to that point, I'll, I'll share a little bit of the story, um, which I mentioned before. The first week I spent with this, I'll just call it a, a a internet-based retailer that delivers smiles. I think most people could probably figure out what that means. I, I spent my first week on the road, actually first, first maybe a few months on the road, but the first week in particular, I went out to some warehouses and I showed up. They, they didn't know who I was. They didn't know I'd be running learning for the company. They just thought I was an hourly worker. And so we did the onboarding, which was just fine. Then we went and did our training. And in this particular case, they were teaching us how to pack a box. So you place an order, have the product put in the box. Pretty simple, right? Most of us have packed box at some point, mm -hmm. moving or not. There's a very specific process and procedure for this. So there's a peer trainer. 
he reached over, pulled out a paper binder, you know, kind of the white paper binder, pulled it open. It was stacks and stacks of pages. And she started reading to us, like, here's how you're going to do this. And then mm -hmm. she demonstrated it. And then she had us demonstrate it. This went on for four hours. Hmm. And I was appalled because at this point, the company was over a half million people worldwide. Hmm. And it, it, I, I couldn't believe a company that size was still reliant on paper-based training delivered by an instructor at each of the sites. After I later got on the job, I found out there, there wasn't just that paper binder, but each of the sites had their own version of it. So there are actually 970 versions of that paper binder. And so, so to your question about standardization, one of the first things I did was, well, we are still in the paper-based instructor mode, so at least let's get that fixed. So we, we standardized that training so that every site was using the same process for training all, all the different warehouse processes. And then that allowed us to move to the next step, which um, different names for it. You know, my, my research when I did my dissertation was around performance support. There's workflow learning, there's automated learning, you call it a lot of different things, but then it was about how do we take that standardized training now and integrate it into the work as much as possible. And that was, that was kind of the next phase of it all. And now most people, when they pack a box, they walk up to a workstation that teaches them how to do their job. And most people are packing a box within 12 minutes. They're not expert. They're not, you know, the world's best packer. Mm -hmm. But it, it allows them to be productive, more efficient, actually contribute, which, you know, I, I think is good for, if you think of sort of like competence and confidence, you need to have confidence in your work to gain confidence so you can get better, mm -hmm. right? And that, that moves us out of the training learning space eventually into the talent development space. Yeah. And it sounds like you sort of streamline the, the training to to optimize and make it faster and also given people more the benefit of the doubt that you can figure out how to pack a box and it's better to just start doing it and then look for ways to improve. Like you said, you're not going to be the best in the world, but at least you get started. You can see where you can improve. You don't really need four hours of someone reading to you training on how to pack a box when you could just start doing it and then get feedback and then get better. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it, it, we, we talk about personalizing learning a lot. Um, and a lot of times with training specifically, we take sort of pretty broad brush strokes, right? We have to assume sort of no prior knowledge and we give everyone the same training. In this particular case, like we're going to make the assumption that you actually already know quite a bit. It's you're learning the specific nuances of how to pack a box here. And so to your point, we, we can observe and see how you're doing. And if you're doing great, I'll never give you any more training at all. If you're struggling on a specific part of the process, the system can intervene and give you some learning or a human being can see how you're doing and give you coaching and feedback, right? So that not only has, you know, positive outcomes from a business perspective in terms of time and, and cost investment, but for the person themselves, you're not frustrating them or wasting their time by giving them training they don't want or need, right? Mm, yeah, because I'm sure in the previous process, there were a lot of people who were frustrated standing there. I, I was frustrated by our two at the very least. Like, <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> right, which is great that you were there. They brought the right person in to take a look at this process. You know, interesting question would be, we know that this system was a little bit outdated and certainly primed for being revamped and you were in the right position maybe to do it. And yet I'm still, I'm sure it still required a lot of influence to be able to roll out a new system to, you know, however many job sites you said, 500 or more or whatever it is. 
So how did you go about then gaining the influence, you know, assessing the right needs and gaining the influence to make this change? Yeah, I mean, there's multiple levels to that. I mean, obviously the first piece that you need to do, especially at an organization that's like tech-oriented organizations, like many, many organizations are becoming, data is really important, right? So helping the organization understand what does the volume look like? I mean, at the time, we're hiring hundreds of thousands of people a year, and you can easily look at the cost of what it looks like. So you can build a business case very, very easily to say, you know, if we're able to shave off 20%, 25% of time, most most business leaders would buy into that pretty quickly. Um, I think our original estimates were pretty modest, something in that range. I mean, the actual gain was 83% efficiency. Mm. So, I mean, we, we knocked it out of the park from that perspective. But there are also other things you have to look at, too. Like, we didn't want to just decrease the amount of, of learning time, but negatively impact quality, right? So we had to keep at, look, look at quality and either do no harm or actually do better there. But then there are other... Um, I think to your question, other areas you have to influence. Like if you if you can sell the business leaders, great. Like you use that with data, but then you also have to to sell your your talent development or learning team on the change, right? Many of them are invested in the whatever the existing model may be. And in this case, it was was pure trainers standing in front of people, and they and and there are people the reasons why people do that and want to do that is they want to engage and, and they're good public mm-hmm. speakers and. You know, so helping the learning organization through that change is also important. But that that level of influence looks really different than a business leader. You have to build content expertise, right? So there's a whole class of authoring tools and systems they've put in place, and whether it's authoring tools, learning content management systems, all those types of things. The hardest part, though, honestly, Andy, of that particular project, and as I think about it, many of the other projects that intersect with technology, is getting technical partners on board. Hmm. So, as I mentioned, the, the play here was to get out of the paper-based binder and into the workstation. <clears throat> so, you know, a lot of times a, a, a pack station will have a little computer there uh, or, you know, kind of like a, a dumb terminal. Somebody owns that software. There are other people with handheld scanners. Someone else owns that software and, hmm. and the hardware. There are people in airports that drive tugs that push planes back or, or unload these big gigantic uh, containers off planes that that's a different interface entirely. So the hardest part, honestly, more than the business leaders or, or the learning team itself are those IT partners um, because they have their own roadmap. They have their own investment. They have their own resources. So to help them understand like what this is and how it benefits either them or their customers, which are the same customers, it's, it's the employees. That's the hardest sell. Mm. Um, And I, I think, um, if I look back at the body work of 25 years, that's that's probably where I spent the most time and energy. Yeah, making those things happen. Y- you told me before that this this work that you did on the standardization really uh, helped set you up for success as the pandemic came and the business really started to scale up and you were hiring, you were already at half a million employees, but really started hiring in the hundreds of thousands, I guess, and you needed to ramp people up quickly. Can you talk more yeah. about that? It, it was definitely one of those instances of right place, right time. I, I, I pushed the organization to make that shift over the course of two years out of the fact that I needed to get them out of, I don't know, 1983 and into at the time 2018 at the very least mm-hmm. or 2020, but not, not even knowing what was going to come, you know? So 
if you fast forward to say, or I guess backwards now, in January, February of 2020 and COVID-19 happens and, you know, you and I are, are trapped at home, mm-hmm. not able to go in the office. I, I remember even going to the stores and I was kind of concerned. I, I don't know if you did this, but I remember basically hosing down all my groceries or packages because we didn't like, we didn't know at the time. Yeah. A lot of people were doing that. Right. So anyway, you know, we, we all ramped up and started buying online and many, many, you know, online retailers had to, had to ramp up pretty quickly. At the same time you had certain industries being affected. So like travel, hotels, restaurants, like you have all of a sudden a lot of people who were displaced from roles. Mm. So there was, there was a quarter in, in Q1, there was three months where we hired, onboarded, and trained 750,000 human beings across the world and how to do all these various processes wow. to get packages to your front door. If we had not done that work the two years prior, I don't know how we would have ramped that fast. So I, I'd like to tell you, I saw it coming, we planned for it, we were ready, <laughs> but it really was this complete utter luck that we had done this work and that it was ready by the time we needed it to be ready. Yeah. So you had that the systems in place to be able to hire and train. And I'm sure that you still need to put more systems in place. One thing we, we talked about is you're hiring at a grand scale, bringing lots of people in. Many of those people had been displaced from other industries. You've got a lot of people who are actually quite talented and maybe starting out in a lot of entry-level type positions, packing boxes, working in warehouse, et cetera. You're now looking for ways to how do we help move them around, upskill them, and and fill higher level, for lack of a better word, more complex positions, right? And so that's something you've worked on as well, I believe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There was a there's one particular gentleman that that I think kind of kicked this all off, kind of this thread that you're talking about in terms of you know people who are displaced and and how that became an opportunity. It was an opportunity that ran his own startup before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I actually believe it was a healthcare startup. Now that I think about it. He had a master's and doctorate in mechanical engineering. And because of pandemic and, and how it impacted funding, he had to give up on a startup. So basically said, I, I just I need to go get a job. So he took a job as a, an hourly worker in a grocery store outside of LA. Did that for a few months, kind of worked his way up, looked at this organization and said, wow, there's there's a world of opportunity. And quite honestly, you know, in under normal circumstances, if if someone like that who had a, two graduate degrees in mechanical engineering could have applied for, you know, a huge role doing robotics or something like that, but in this case, ended up in the organization, kind of, you know, doing this this hourly role, and, and it became pretty clear. So there was an escalation that kind of worked its way. Just and it came to me, and it became pretty clear after spending a lot of time with this person, like. The organization, the systems, the talent management, talent development systems are not set up to make it easy for people to to move and, and do bigger and better things in their career. And so I, I spent the last couple of years trying to solve that and trying to change those processes and systems. And so, you know, in this particular case, you had someone that was highly educated already and very talented and skilled. So it was more about breaking down the barriers of movement and placement. But for a broader audience where you have, in this case now, a million and a half people uh, in roles like that, they, they may not have those skills today. And so it's about mm. you know, finding the best people to be future software engineers, to be future pharmacy technicians, to be future nurses, EMTs, whatever it may be, and giving them the opportunity to reskill or upskill 
and, and developing them into roles that they're not doing today. Mm. So it, it, it was really interesting. Um, as I look back, what I described to you at the beginning was more training than it is talent development, but it set us up. Doing that work really well set us up to to move into higher level work, in my opinion, for on the talent development space. Yeah. How do you create that that setup now so that you can find those people or they can find opportunities to upskill, reskill, like learn new skills so that they can move into maybe more complex or higher paying roles is what they probably want. Yeah, I think there's three components to it. One, you know, depending on which organization you're in, you, you should always stay centered and stay oriented to solve problems for the organization. So we looked at where the business was at the time and where we where it was projected to go in three years. And so just to use an example, uh, working on a paper right now that's going to one of the um, SVPs tomorrow, there's a projection that will be about 10,000 employees short by, I think it was at the end of 2024, specifically in software engineering. Like mm. there's, there's so much need for software engineers uh, in the future that our computer science programs at universities are not able to keep up. Like they're just, they're not producing enough students for the jobs. So that's, that's just one example that we looked at the data to decide where should we focus our efforts. So that's kind of one piece is like, got to make sure we're solving business problems because to, to get a business leader on board, you need to show them how this will help. Right. So that was kind of the first piece of it. The second piece then is sort of generating demand employees and helping them understand that there are possible uh, ways for them to to not have the the job they have now packing a box, but we as a company would be willing to commit to them and invest the time and energy it takes to help them reskill. And so huge marketing campaigns to help associates understand like, hey, you know, you can apply for this program. It's a nine month boot camp that takes you from packing the box today to being a software engineer. Right. So that's there's a marketing piece to it. The reason why I think that's important is like we could go out and handpick as talent development organizations our, our high potential folks and say, hey, you know, you should be a software engineer or you should be a pharmacy technician or whatever it may be. But I think there's a lot of power in the talent development space around self-selection, self-direction, self-motivation. It's kind of that 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 old skill and well piece. Like we can we can either find people who have the skills or give them the skills, but there's a lot of power, I think, in making sure that people are aligned and they're going to take the time to invest in themselves, that, that will component of it. And then the last piece that we also do is do assessments and try to help people understand, like, you'd be really great at X, but why maybe not, you know, quite as strong. We, we don't necessarily go out and dissuade people from not pursuing certain opportunities, mm. but to try to help them triangulate based off of capabilities, skill sets, potential, what would be the best fit. COVID-19 pandemic and 2020 changed everything in business and talent development. Almost overnight, companies were forced to figure out how to engage their employees remotely and run their development programs virtually. Luckily, Advantage Performance Group has been running a webinar series and releasing free resources throughout the last year and beyond. Advantage is a proud sponsor of the Talent Development Hot Seat. It's known for creating, learning, and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Advantage helps leaders lead, sellers sell, and businesses flourish. 
To join our webinar series and find more of our free resources, just head on over to AdvantagePerformance.com. That's AdvantagePerformance.com. That makes sense. And, uh, you know, I think this is, this is the future, right? This is what so many big companies are trying to figure out now is how to create more talent mobility, creating a talent marketplace to create opportunities for people to find their next job, their next role, to be able to learn new skills and adapt to how the marketplace is changing, right? And how technology is changing. You know, there's going to be new trends that take over and and the business may change. And so you want That's to right. keep your best people and have them continue to learn new skills and adapt. And, 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 you know, obviously you work in a huge organization that may have resources to do a lot of that upskilling, reskilling in-house. I've talked to other people from organizations that have put together great, you know, tuition reimbursement or assistance programs to maybe leverage universities. But the key is they're identifying people, giving them opportunities so that there are great opportunities for them to stay. Because as you mentioned, you're facing a potential shortfall in talent in a couple of years. Obviously, you know, recruiting and talent acquisition is going to be a big factor, but retention is even bigger, right? How do you keep your best people in-house so that you don't have to recruit as many in order to keep growing. Yeah, that's right. And I, I, you know, to that piece of it, we're in this, um, I don't know where we are in the Great Recession, right? Depends on how you want to look at the numbers. Yeah. Certainly, I actually was just writing an article on this. ATD asked me to, to write an article around reskilling and upskilling hmm. for, for T&D Magazine. And I was, I was doing the numbers on it and it was pretty staggering. So during 2021 alone, 75.3 million workers were hired into a new job. Of that 75 million, 47.4 million voluntarily left their old role, meaning 63% of people who were hired last year quit a job, if that makes sense. Hmm. 21 million were actually let go from a previous role, you know, kind of due to pandemic. 6.4 million were new to the workforce or re-entering the workforce. And so you know, I, I, the reason why I bring that up, kind of circle back to your comment earlier um, around retention, it, the adage is like people leave managers, not companies. Right. And I, I think that's true to an extent. You and I probably have certainly had experience with leaders over the years, like, why, you know, why do I work for this person or why do yep. I work for this person, right? Yeah. But I, I think there's also something around organizational commitment. Yeah. People, right. And, and when I think about some of the like just incredible employees I've had over the years at that old, that old retailer I mentioned when I first joined, um, the second day I met uh, an employee that had been there 40 years. Hmm. And by the time I left, she had been there 44 years. And as far as I know, she's still, she may be the only learning person left in that company. Like she outlasted everybody. Um, but I've had many, many people like that in the years. And I, I, a lot of her loyalty, even though I adored her and I think she hopefully respected me as a leader, her loyalty was to this organization she'd been with so long. And so yeah. I think as, as organizations, we think about not just how do you develop people and reskill them, upskill them for roles, but actually help them see that the organization is willing to invest in them. I think that's actually, you know, again, one of the major drivers of, of attrition this last yeah. year. Been either compensation or career advancement. 
it's grow it's growth potential is a big one, right? Like, can I, can I grow in this role? Where am I going with this? And I don't see it, but I see growth potential over here. So I'm going to go try something else. Yeah, that's exactly right. Frank, as you have been doing your work and I know you are a researcher as well, and you study a lot of what's going on in talent development, you, you've developed a model, I believe you call 10 C. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we could go into that and share that because I think it'd be helpful for people in different organizations, no matter what size they are. Yeah, absolutely. So 10C, I'll, I'll label out the specific words super fast, and then I'll talk about uh, each one just a little bit. The T and 10C is training, and then that's followed by experience, and then that's followed by nudging, port, and coaching. And I'm having a lot of internal debates if it's if that's linear or if those are just interchangeable pieces of mm. a model. But kind of just talking quickly through each one, training This is going to sound really strange, and I I say this often actually business leaders, and they're taken back a little bit. For someone that's been doing learning 25 years, I think training is highly, it can be highly effective, but it's also highly inefficient. Mm. You know, this is just not me making up a number, but empirically speaking, anytime that you go through training, the minute you walk out of that door, about 20 minutes after technically, you know, you lost half of what you learned. Yeah. And within 30 days, you've lost 80%. This goes all the way back to Thorndike. Oh, excuse me, Ebbinghaus back in like 1893, and it was all those studies have been replicated even more recently. Mm-hmm. So I I believe that training is a core part of what we need to keep doing as talent development organizations. But I I work very very hard to reduce it down to the critical and frequent things that need to happen in training. And then after training, what I bias more towards is experiential learning. So learning in the actual work itself. Hmm. So, you know, back to our, our sort of where we started the conversation, that's the reason why I wanted to be out in the field with actual employees. And I have a safety vest hanging over in my garage that I sometimes pick up and I just show up at a building, not completely unannounced. And I just, I just go into the work and I learn hmm. and experiential learning is really, really key. One, to reinforce what someone may have learned in training, but to help them apply it and help them actually understand it in context. The end, the third item is actually something really, really new for me. I've been studying a lot more about behavioral economics and specifically behavioral nudging uh, within that domain. And I was quite a skeptic, to be honest with you, Andy, uh, at first around behavioral nudging. Uh, And I think there actually is still some limitations and danger around nudging if, if you do it too much, like you create. Yeah, it gets annoying. Yeah, exactly. But I think what's really interesting about behavioral nudging is this idea where if we can look for signals in how someone's performing, what they learned, you know, if, if we train them, we ask them to go to the job and learn through experience, and we can see how well they're doing or maybe how they're not doing. Can we nudge them with just a little bit of information to help them get over that and push through the barrier? Hmm. And empirically, we also know that nudges alone aren't as effective as nudges with some support content. So if I say, hey, Andy, you know, you know, it looks like you're struggling in this, maybe try why. And by the way, here's a, here's a reference, maybe a job aid or whatever it might be how to do that. And then finally, see the coaching is, uh, you know, I don't think learning can be done in isolation. We can design the best training and nudging experiences we can, but humans are important. So whether that's uh, a leader, a mentor, you know, a peer, whatever it may be, coaching is kind of the last element. You can think of it as the backstop kind of remedy uh, nudging or coaching or nudging or support, or you can think of it as a way to get 
signals on what you should measure is important. So that's those are some of the things that that I'm working through the mechanics of the model. But I'm less enamored now with training and much more focused on kind of this broader learning ecosystem, if you will, with, with yeah. these five components. Basically, it sounds like what you're what you're working on is the idea that training is still important, but training is just the start, and we need all these other things to be complementary. Something that I think a lot of people in our industry understand implicitly, but to put a framework around it and say, like, yes, do the training. First of all, make sure the training is effective, but realize that people are going to learn a lot more from doing the thing on the job, right? From actual experience. And you could blend the two with experiential learning, right? And then we've got to find the the challenges they're facing to give them nudges along the way to help encourage them to overcome some of those challenges or come back to the training when they need it, give them the support they need to help them overcome those challenges and learn more. And then realizing that, you know, not everybody's going to read something and just understand it right away. They might need a little bit of coaching. They might need a little bit of support from a mentor or someone who's actually done it or is is familiar with it. Yeah, I think it's absolutely right. And if I sort of reflect on how the last two years have played out for a lot of learning and, and talent development organizations, I mean, I, I was doing onboarding for, you know, thousands of leaders every month and we're sending them to a classroom around the world to meet with their peers. And then 10 days later, we're doing it online because of the pandemic, right? So yeah. I think a lot of us really want heavy virtual and now coming out of pandemic, depending on where you're in the world, I, I feel like it's beginning to rebound back to a lot of, a lot of leaders and even individual employees want an in-person experience. And I think there's value in that. I, I actually, even being an introvert, crave that at times. But really for me, the model that I'm driving with my teams is to help them understand, like, we kind of went really, really far on one end of the pendulum swing, and now it's beginning to tip back to the other end of the pendulum swing. So really trying to drive them back to some center, right? It's like, really think about what are the business outcomes, learning outcomes, and then how do you create this broader experience that not is not just either an online class or, you know, face-to-face classroom event. Yeah. Yeah. So many of us in the industry like, went through this, that whole experience, right? And now are trying to find what's the right balance. Because like you said, we, we've kind of proven that a lot of the development that was in person can be done virtually. And yet people still crave the in-person experience and connections. Right. It's obvious because you see so many conferences coming back, right? And people yeah. are like willingly. Go to yours. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Right. I'm, I'm bringing the talent development think tank conference back. I've been going to conferences and I think when we see all these live events, it's proof, right, that that humans are social creatures, that we really crave that. Otherwise, we'd all just stay in our house, get our retail deliveries, our food delivery, right? <laughs> just talk, just talk to each other right. on the phone, get our business done, and then go sit down and watch Netflix. But that's that's not the case, right? You see people out everywhere doing things together again. They couldn't wait, which is proof that we are social creatures. So we've got to build that in as a major factor when we're creating learning experiences. Yeah, no, totally agree. Totally agree. Well, Frank, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing some of your experience and, and all the work you've done and standardizing and scaling training and your, your thoughts on how we reinforce training in, in, in the future. For anybody that wants to get in touch with you, where's the best place for them to go? Is it LinkedIn? Is it something else? Yeah, I'm fairly easy to find on LinkedIn. Otherwise, my email is also pretty straightforward. Frank at franken.net. Shoot me a note. Love to hear from you. 
Frank at franken.net. Let Frank know you heard him on the Talent Development Hot Seat. Thanks, Frank, for being here again. Appreciate it and look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, thank you, Andy. Look forward to seeing you. All right, that will do it for my episode with Dr. Frank Nguyen. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and you got a lot of value from it. I certainly did. It's been interesting to hear from someone who has been in the thick of it in several different companies, including the latest, which has scaled immensely more than any of us could really fathom over the last few years and to hear some of how they have standardized and, and scaled some of their training, as well as how he's thinking about upscaling and rescaling for the future. And I'm sure that's something that many of you are thinking about as well. It's a conversation we're having regularly, I'm having regularly with clients about how do we create more talent mobility and more of a talent marketplace and how do we retain our best people and keep them engaged and also help them grow in their careers. If you remember, I did an episode a little while back with Kamari Yao from Rocket Company, and she talked about tuition assistance and tuition reimbursement, the programs they have in place to help people kind of upskill and move into different types of roles. And it's interesting to hear how Frank is doing that with more of an internal approach. But it's something that all of us kind of need to be thinking about, right, for the future. And by the way, I'm working with a lot of organizations on this idea of career development, especially owning your career. I've talked in the past on this podcast about my three pillars of career development, so I won't go into all of that. The organization certainly needs to provide the pathways and and resources for people to be able to move up. You need support from your manager, but we want people to really own their careers as well. And that's something that I love speaking on and working with companies and employees on. So if that's something you want help with, feel free to reach out to me. My email address is andy at andystorch.com. And I want to remind you that our podcast is sponsored by the Talent Development Think Tank Conference and Community. It is the number one place for people to go to connect and learn and continue to upskill themselves in the world of talent development. You can find more information on our website, tdtt.us, as in Talent Development Think Tank, tdtt.us. And our podcast is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is a professional services firm dedicated to providing a continuous stream of creative learning and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. And you can find more information on their website, advantageperformance.com. All right. Thank you again for listening and stay tuned next time. Got part two of my conversation with Frank Nguyen. It's our bonus Q&A round. And he really goes into some great information. We have a great conversation with a lot of value in that one. So I hope you will join us and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again. And take care.